I'm Harriet Smith and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. In this big dietetic debate, we will be looking at the question, are social prescribers a good use of NHS resource? I'm delighted to be joined by NHS social prescriber Isis Ventura Burmel, who currently works for Castleman Healthcare. She has a BA Honours in Philosophy and Psychological Studies, as well as previous experience working for the not-for-profit mental health organisation Dorset Mind, as well as, as, well as other customer-facing roles in the health and wellbeing industry. Outside of work, Isis is also a qualified yoga teacher. In this episode, we'll be exploring what social prescribing is and who it's for. We'll chat to Isis about the role of a social prescriber, what a typical day looks like for her, and how a social prescriber can help your patients in the context of malnutrition and loneliness. We hope that you find this a very interesting and inspiring episode and discussion. Without further ado, it's my great pleasure to welcome Isis to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much, Harriet. What an introduction. Thanks for having me here today. Well, we're delighted to have a social prescriber on the podcast. Um, as, as you know, Isis, a lot of our listeners are dietitians and nutritionists, but it's really a, a very talked about area at the moment, social prescribing. So I was wondering if you could just explain to our listeners, firstly, what exactly is the role of a social prescriber? Of course. So a social prescriber is an individual who's been trained to listen and approaches conversation from a motivational interviewing and coaching style. So then they can understand the needs um, as best as possible of providing personalized support. Um, we usually signpost to the relevant and chosen by the supported person of organizations, resources and services that are as local as possible. And they create what we call a social prescription. Our service in particular supports patients from 13 years onwards, and it's um, anybody in order to support them with social isolation, loneliness, emotional well-being. It's to support them making those health and lifestyle choices, managing long-term health conditions, anything from housing, financial problems, and that way they can access the volunteering training and employment and it will depend on the sector it will vary on who it's aimed at and the specifics of support that's provided thank you so much for explaining that and later on in the episode i know you're going to talk us through a couple of, sort of case studies of where it's uh, an example of how your work really has a big impact on people's lives mm. just before we talk about that can you tell us a bit about the history of social prescribers is is it a new role? Has it always been around within the NHS? And, and where did the need come from? Of course. So as I came into the role fairly new, I did a little bit of research myself for this. And it seems like social prescribing has been a role in the community for quite a long time and in the NHS. Um, and as the King's Fund article put quite nicely, it seems that the Bromley and Bow Centre established this in the mid-80s. However, the work and role was slightly unnoticed um, on a national scale by NHS bodies. So in the forward view plan in 2014, they set a preventative focus on highlighting the importance of voluntary and community sector organisations and how this role can collaborate with GP sources. 
So in 2019, the NHS long-term plan incorporated the social prescribing as a component to that model of personalised care. That way it would facilitate individuals to take control of the healthcare and well-being. And this plan is set by for 2023 to 2024 for every GP to have access to the social prescribing link worker. So in a way, it's an old school uh, concept that's been recently integrated at this large scale. And why do you think there is such a need for social prescribers at the moment? So currently, I'd say, um, if we think about the recent pandemic, it's that connection with community and helping individuals to form their own path when it comes to their care and their health and well-being. And that has a bit more of a holistic approach. So it's not just the clinical needs. And that's where the social prescriber comes in to give them those resources and information of what's out there that they can make use of to support themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into social prescribing? Because we mentioned in the introduction you have your BA in philosophy and and psychological studies. What led you to go from that qualification to working as a social prescriber? Yeah, of course. So as you mentioned, um, I had quite a particular focus when it comes to holistic health and well-being. Um, and with the integrated acro yoga and yoga teacher training, that's the kind of the physical side of things. However, it also involves the social connection. Um, it can be a lifestyle aspect, nutrition, the ethics. And this led me before commencing the role to volunteer in a mental health uh, charity. So looking for something that would encompass all these values and interests um, and hoping to support people, social prescribing came across and unaware of the role as I was at the time, it seemed quite aligned and interesting. And thankfully, the team seems to be, um, seemed to think that I was a good fit for what they were looking for as well. And how long have you been working at Castleman Healthcare for ISIS? So it's actually been a year this month. Um, So we started in the middle of the pandemic. (laughs) So it's been an interesting learning process and adjusting, but very thankful for the opportunity. And um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that it's had a positive impact so far on the individuals I've been supporting. That's actually leads on to my next question, because I was going to ask you, social prescribers typically based in the hospital, the community, but I imagine during the pandemic, you've had to do a lot of your work online. Is is that right? Yeah, so um, my everyday is a combination of different patient support. Um, So we keep up to date with volunteer community sector and other organisations. It has been fairly virtual for me. However, it has increased in the face-to-face support recently. Um, I was working in surgeries to begin with, even though the contact was over the phone. Um, Then there was some remote working. um, And obviously, recently, it's been back into surgeries and integrating that face-to-face support. So on a daily basis, um, I can speak up to 12 patients a day. That can include five short introductory calls, and then the full consults will be 40 to 45 minutes. However, this can be adjusted um, depending on the patient need. And the freedom to adjust this schedule is actually very key at times um, because it helps providing that personalized care. Um, Because I'm based in the primary care network, it will, in my particular case, be supporting five different surgeries, um, as well as my colleague who's um, part of my team. 
and that means that we can offer the visits to be at the surgery or we can do it locally in the area sometimes that involves home visits um it's a combination of things it can be going through activities with patients or at least doing that journey towards that place to encourage that confidence for them to make use of the services that are out there now, it, it sounds fascinating the work you do with your patients. And I suppose some people might argue, well, shouldn't we all have a social prescriber? Because we know that, you know, social interaction is so important for our mental and physical well-being. So how do you go about deciding which patients really need your services most? Yeah, so the NHS has kind of a guide of the patients that would benefit the most of social prescribing. So usually that's people that come across with um, social isolation, long-term health conditions that are feeling lonely, moderate mental health um, issues. However, my colleague always uh, says this actually, that it starts with a conversation and it really just depends on the person if they're willing to engage with what we have to offer. Um, it's about that coaching style conversation where we can find out, give that time to the individuals, what it is that they need, what it is that they're looking for, and hopefully we can provide the support with the available resources. And I wanted to ask you a bit about, you mentioned your colleague, what sorts of other healthcare professionals are you working alongside? Or do you work within a team of other social prescribers? How does it work in terms of multidisciplinary sort of interactions in the team? So because we're working in a primary care setting, we're able to maintain contact with the clinicians um, other services that might refer into the system, one that we might use, as well as outside of it. So that can involve social care, mental health teams. Um, it can be, even be the patient services team at reception actually have an um, integral part in this because if the patient that's coming in comes with a non-clinical need they can already suggest well we have this role in our um, surgery would you like to give it a go and see um, if that's the support that they would need at the time so it's a variety of people that we work with and we're able to discuss with the clinicians that are um, the patients that are under their care to form that personalised care plan that they might need. So it's not just one person that's involved and knows what's happening. It's a variety of people that are supporting those individuals. Now, in, in dietetics, we sometimes find that members of the public or other health professionals are not always aware of dietitians and the work that we do and the importance that we have in patient care. Mm. Do you find similar in social prescribing? Are the, all the GPs, for example, are they all aware of the importance that you play with patients? Or do you think there's still some more work to be done to raise your profile? Well, this past year, there has been um, a couple launches of the social prescribing um, role. So hopefully we've been able to provide the necessary information for um, other clinicians and people involved in the primary care network to be aware of our role and we're trying to form a website as well as putting in all the information for both the patients and the teams to have it accessible. I believe that at this time, at least in our primary care network, they're quite aware of what it is that we do and we do receive um, referrals on a regular basis so hopefully that means that <laughs> they're liking what we're offering. Absolutely, absolutely. And in terms of um, other sort of NHS trusts and CCGs, are there social prescribers across the country or is it is it lucky that in your area, you know, social prescribing is a big thing? Do you know what it's like throughout the country? 
Well, thankfully, um, there is a website called the NHS Collaboration Platform, and they have a specific area for social prescribers. And the whole country, whoever is involved within the non-clinical roles, such as care coordinators, health coaches, are able to access this, um, or anybody who's working within the NHS can register. And they have webinars and meetings there. Um, and you're able to see that throughout the whole country, they've been integrating these kind of roles. So definitely these um, are available across the country and it's, I believe, growing to the point where most primary care networks will, will have this available. So just go ahead and ask your surgery or it might be in the volunteer sector in your area, but it, it should be, yeah. Yeah, actually I wanted to ask you, how, how do patients go about seeing a social prescriber and can health professionals like dietitians refer on to you how does it work the referral process of course um so when it comes to referring uh, individuals can self-refer at any time they can come into surgery and ask either a clinician or the patient services team that they're interested in speaking to a social prescriber and they would initially how it works with our team we would have a short introductory call and then from there we would explore whether they would benefit from uh, another longer one or if it, a face-to-face -face would be better for them clinicians can refer on system one they usually task us um or they can book them in on the initial introductory slots as well and this means for people outside of the system one sector they can get hold of our contact which should be available on the websites um, so they can email us um, because we link with the other organizations um, we do try to keep in contact with what's local as possible and that way um, if they have a patient that they believe they would they would benefit from our service they can just send us the contact information and if they're registered with our primary care network we're happy to make contact yes now you talked about organizations that you have links with if mm. you notice that there's a patient that would benefit from a particular service or support do you um point them towards those services how, how does it work can you refer them on as such yeah so because we're um trying to keep in contact as you mentioned there's um the part of our role is a lot of signposting and linking with that community aspect of service. So we can refer such as exercise referral schemes. Um, maybe it is um, substance and misuse organizations that support. They also have referral schemes so we can do that. We try to make patients self-manage as much as possible. So if they're able to contact themselves, that already is a step for them to um help themselves build that confidence that they are able to make use of these things. So we encourage them by giving them the organization information, explaining what, what it is that they offer. And then from there, um, hopefully they find the appropriate locations for that support. And you talked a bit about um, dealing with patients with, for example, substance misuse problems, um, perhaps loneliness, um, and you're a talking and listening service. So how do you make sure that you separate the social prescribing aspect of your role from essentially becoming a psychologist or a counsellor? There, there must be quite a fine line between the two, I imagine. How do you make sure that you're not sort of crossing that bridge? Yeah, of course. So this is a conversation that we've had in my team. And um, thankfully, we're able to separate it because we don't delve into questions that are about exploring that person's um, 
struggle in itself if they want to voice it then we're there to be that supportive listener however because it's a coaching style and it's motivational interviewing we want to help them see what it is they can do at this time and what can help them move forward so in that way it's that progression process and that potential goal setting depending on what uh, vocabulary works for the individual and if they do need that extra support when it comes to their mental health then there are organizations and support out there and within the NHS there's also quite a variety of things that they can explore so we try to either refer or give them that information so that they're able to take that um, option themselves if they find that's what they would benefit from. You talked about motivational interviewing and I know a lot of dietitians get trained in motivational interviewing perhaps on the job or during their degree and and it's Mm. quite a skill from my own experience it it takes quite a bit of practice to become good at it so is there any training that's offered to you when you become a social prescriber do you learn it on the job do you have to do a degree in social prescribing how do they train you to be able to be an effective clinician? Of course. So because it's a fairly new role, there isn't a set standard as of yet. Um, However, they do look for that um, care and conversation experience from what I'm aware of. And there's also the Personalised Care Institute who actually provide the regulated NHS training for non-clinical roles in primary care networks. That can include social prescribing and NHS e-learning platform also has a particular training for social prescribing. And as social prescribers regulated, um, for example, dietitians were regulated by the Healthcare Professionals Council, the HCPC. Do you have to like, register with a particular body or, or is, not, is that not something you have to do at the moment? So I believe that's not currently in place. However, it is starting um, with the PCI, as mentioned earlier, Personalised Care Institute. They are trying to regulate it as much as possible. And because our role is fairly holistic and it's a conversational aspect um, that is non-clinical, that regulation is um, not as imminent as it would be for dietitians, I would imagine. However, for health coaching, for example, there are Uh, specific trainings which they're putting in place and has to be slightly more regulated as they will touch base on clinical needs. I'm interested to hear do you have any interaction with dietitians do you ever have dietitians in your service referring patients on to you if you come across any nutritionists or dietitians? So so far um, I haven't come across them Um, however I imagine it would be quite a good connection to have when it comes to supporting each other in our service because it is a lifestyle factor that we get to talk about and obviously a person's nutrition can be a very big aspect of that. Absolutely um, I actually that leads us on to talking a bit about loneliness and malnutrition which is a, a large area that many dietitians are involved with. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about how your role helps in the context of loneliness and malnutrition if you've got any examples of patients that you might be able to share with us for example? Sure. So specifically, uh, it's quite hard to pinpoint the loneliness one as a variety of people come in for this. Um, so I'll give a, a general answer when it comes to these both answers. Um, so in terms of loneliness, we support patients by having someone there um, to guide them through what it is that the choices that they're making, they're making and informing them of what's available out there that they could benefit from. Um, it's that individual to hold them accountable of what they're doing to help themselves at the time. 
in terms of isolation, um, we can connect with organizations, group befrienders, community connectors, and we've had a fair bit of success uh, with doing that. They've been such a valuable resource. Um, my colleague and myself are actually currently working on doing a well-being group, so hopefully that will provide that sense of community. However, lonely does not always have to do with um, a person being surrounded by other people, and therefore we can provide the appropriate uh, mental health support organisations to explore this. When it comes to malnutrition, um, we have good links with the local community fridge and we have provided patients with food bank vouchers um, upon request when they've found that need and that's been quite successful. Um, individuals with interest in nutrition uh, to help themselves, we can connect them with organisations or speak to the clinicians involved in their care to discuss if appropriate referrals to teams such as dietitians would be um, a good avenue for them. And a handy sun posting link that some patients have benefited from for those who like to keep up to date with nutrition studies. Um, I've made use of a website called nutritionfacts.org and that way they can do their own um, as we like to call self-management. So they're able to help themselves. Yeah, brilliant to hear about how you really focus on empowering patients. Um, are there any patients that stick out to you as you know being particularly memorable um, for any particular reason? If so, can you talk us through some of your most memorable patients you've worked with? <laughs> So uh, two particular examples that stick out would probably be um, a patient in particular who struggled with health anxiety. They had a fair bit of experience with their family um, struggling in terms of their health. And this built up over the years, um, how they managed it when somebody else was in a similar situation. So we talked through some anxiety management techniques and the way that they could adapt it to their lifestyle. They made use of some resources that are available that therapists actually use, um, but they're available to the public. So that can be worksheets, audios, um, just guidance, mental health uh, wise, that's available out there. We provided a safe, confidential place for them to voice their concerns and be listened and that source of encouragement and by fitting this in and being able to talk it through they were able to manage at the time and find the light at the end of the tunnel when it came to managing with these. The other aspect um, of an, another patient was actually um, somebody who was struggling with alcohol misuse at the time um they've been linked with a variety of services and they were struggling to continue that contact um but with the social prescriber making contact with the other services involved and also pinpointing out what other organizations could be providing support they were able to get um what was needed at the time they were able to be included in a rehabilitation program. They had a variety of people to talk to and support them through the process. And we maintained contact to see if they were continuing engaging with these. Um, and because of uh, this contact with the other uh, organizations, it provided that community aspect. Everything usually is consented by the patient before we make contact uh, anyway. Um, and then that provided a better picture, picture of the individual's life. And in that way, they were able to support themselves and make use of these connections. So it was quite a positive outcome for this individual. 
Yeah, yeah, very inspiring to hear those examples. Thank you for sharing them with us. What about young people? You mentioned your services available to over 13s. Are there any examples of how your services have, have benefited young people? Can you give us an example? Yeah, of course. So our team has been trying to create a bit of a link with the local schools. Uh, so then teenagers are able to make use of the social prescribing aspects in terms of that safe space to to be listened to and link them with organisations that are appropriate for the youth um, within school hours. So we're hoping this will be uh, starting from this month onwards and they can make use of a quiet place that's private in the school if they are making use of school hours um, to have a conversation with ourselves. Because it's a new project, we're hoping that eventually it will lead to some face-to-face support as well within the schools. However, at the moment, they can make use of it outside of hours if they want, um, outside of school hours if they want face-to-face in the surgery, and otherwise the telephone conversation. And if they did come to you face-to-face, what sorts of suggestions might you be making or resources or organisations would you refer on to for young people? Yeah, of course. So um, we've made use of things like the Spear Project, the Wave Project, um, Dorset Mind Your Head is an incredible local resource for us uh, that particularly focus on the mental health of young people, um, young minds, um, Couth, all of these are supportive environments for young people and because of these links and the community network that is usually involving people in their age range, they're they're more keen to participate and hopefully benefit from as well. Brilliant, thank you. Thank you for that information. Is there anything else you want to share in terms of patients that you've helped or anything that you think might be useful for dietitians to hear more about? Um, I think that that covers a a quite general aspect of it. Um, Yeah. If anyone who's listening is interested in finding out more about social prescribing, is there anywhere that you could direct them to? Yeah, of course. So um, as mentioned earlier, the Personalised Care Institute is quite a good guide when it comes to the training associated for it. Um, There's also the NHS website and UK government website have a resource on social prescribing the NHS collaboration platform for those who are already working within the NHS is a good resource. They have plenty of information there. Um, local surgeries will also have information or if they are making use of social prescribing, they usually have a bit of a section on it. Um, and if you're interested in my particular team, Castleman Healthcare website also has some info on what it is that we're doing. Brilliant. We can link to those in the show notes, definitely. Um, And presumably, would you recommend that dietitians look up to see if they have a social prescriber in their local area and perhaps they can look into how they can refer on to them if needed? Yeah, definitely. I think um, all roles in the NHS, if there is that sense of connection, we're going to be able to provide that personalised care uh, with more ease because we know of each other and because we're able to support each other. And if your patient is needing a non-clinical support, then that's what it's there for. So definitely reach out and hopefully make those links. Um, I'm sure the social prescribers would be more than happy to link with any dietitian or any other role. 
Definitely. And um, just a final question from me, if there's anyone who's interested in pursuing social prescribing as a career, mm. um, what would your advice be? And are there particular requirements? Do you need to have a degree, for example? Do you need experience in mental health? Do you have any more information on that? Sure. Um, so I personally find that roles in care, well-being, holistic healthcare approach, mental health, as you mentioned, coaching, community-based, informed about the volunteer sector, all of these skills are transferable to the role. However, the requirements for <clears throat> being part of the of that development, um, the new training is being provided by uh, the PCI, as mentioned earlier, and you'll have the link on the in the notes um however my individual path is no no blueprint for it um my colleague for example has a background in rehabilitation and physiotherapy amongst other things so it's fairly varied um the mentioned websites would be a good resource to inquire further and because social prescribing is such a growing role and not just based in the nhs you can look for the opportunities in other sectors as well so I guess that leads us on to our million dollar question, which was um, the question I put at the beginning of the episodes, are social prescribers a good use of NHS resource? What would you say to that, Isis? I would <laughs> I would hope so, considering I'm in the role. Um, but the, the feedback we've had so far has been extremely positive. Um, and sometimes it is that part that clinicians are not able to offer just because of the time limits when it comes to supporting patients to find out a little bit more of what could be affecting their health and well-being thankfully we have that time to explore that in conversation with patients and we might find something out that then can be shared with the appropriate clinician and then provide that support network that works best for the individual so hopefully um i would say yes <laughs> it is a good uh, resource and hopefully all our listeners will agree um, and be inspired to go and look up and do a bit more learning on social prescribers. So just before we finish up, uh, we ask our guests a few quick fire questions. Mm -hmm. Our first question to you is, what do you most enjoy about your job, Isis? Mm. So I would definitely say it's this aspect of being part of such a supportive network for individuals and the most important is witnessing that progress um, in the ways that work for them. I love this holistic perspective and the fact that it's being integrated in the NHS. The application of people's like health and well-being in this role is, is huge. Um, yeah, I definitely love seeing how people can grow and find what works for them. And if you had one key message that you would like our listeners to take away from this episode, what would it be? So for people um, who make use of the um, primary care, I would definitely say reach out if you're finding things challenging because it can be a big leap to ask for help, but that's what it's there for. That support is there for you to make use of. And for those interested in the role, um, if you have a caring passion and inclination, you most likely have or can develop the tools to be of support to the community. So don't shy away from looking into the resources and taking it further. There's definitely exciting times ahead with this uh, social and holistic focus on well-being. Also, just a huge thank you to my team, yourselves, for uh, hosting this podcast Um the primary care network volunteers charity organizations the community support everything is so important for that connection and positive impact for individuals so thank you 
And thank you very much for coming on and sharing your experiences. Like I said, it's not an area we've covered before in the podcast, but I think it is so important. And obviously we're going to see an increasing um, uh, role for social prescribers as sort of malnutrition rates escalate and mental health problems as well. So thank you so much for your time, Isis. Um, we hope that everybody listening found this discussion very useful. Like I said earlier, we will put some useful links in the show notes for you to do a bit more exploring into the role of social prescribers. And our next episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming very soon. Thank you. Thank you.